let's head back to Children's Chapel. And if you have your Bible, if you would, please hold it nice and high as we say our Bible decree today. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. If you'll please turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I like in that verse, worthy is the lamb. It states in there that he went to the cross for our sin and for our shame. Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sin and for our shame. In verse 2 it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated or set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If you'll please turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the what? What'd you say? A way to escape that you may be able to what? Bear it, endure it, get through it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 reads, if you can turn there if you would, please. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Today I want to talk to you, encourage you. We could be out of the book of Romans chapter 10. And we'll get to our text over in 2 Samuel, if Lord wills. But I want to talk to you about shame. How we carry shame and what shame does to us. And how it debilitates us. And how it can just destroy our Christian walk, our spiritual life. And Satan has a heyday when he knows that we're all tripped up over shame. As I start today's message, how many of you in this room have ever had to deal with shame in your life? Amen. Many of us have, and many of us haven't yet. A new pastor was visiting the homes of some of the people in his congregation. He came to one house and he knocked, but there was no answer. He could see the lights were on and it seemed very obvious that someone was home, so he knocked again. When there was no response, he took out a note card and simply wrote on it, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Then he stuck it in the door. The next Sunday, after the offering was passed, he found someone had put his note card back into the place. He looked at it to see that they had added to it a cryptic message, saying simply, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. So the pastor grabbed his Bible and opened it to the verse cited and began to laugh. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. If we trace sin all the way back to its origin in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> we see that sin has a companion. I'm going to stop right there. You know, it's so funny because over the years that I have visited, I literally have seen people peek out the, the window. And as I was, was putting together this message, my thought was this. I wonder if they were naked. I mean, they couldn't come to the door. Or they're like, I'm not going to the door. Pastor's here. I'm not. Look how I look. 
you know, you, you shouldn't. So then I learned about 10 years ago, you should not go on the moon. And, uh, but I just thought that was a great story. There's something that goes along with sin in Adam and Eve. Both experienced having had their eyes open to the knowledge of good and evil. Previously, Adam had lived in the garden, and he was there without sin. They lived in community with God, and he would come to walk with them in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, tells us that when man was created, he was naked, and he knew no shame, because man was innocent of evil. Then along comes the crafty serpent who tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. Lord, by the promise of becoming like God, Adam and Eve disobey God's command, and sin now enters into the world. Their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. Then they heard God coming. So Adam and Eve hid because they were ashamed. Where sin exists, shame is sure to follow. Where sin exists, shame is sure to follow. That is the way it is with us. The Bible paints shame as a negative emotion that comes from guilt or an awareness of wrongdoing. When Adam and Eve heard God, they knew their sin would be exposed, and they were afraid because they were ashamed. Let's pray. God, we pray that today, that even in our own life and in this hour, this moment, the next few minutes. Lord, I pray that you'll lay upon our hearts what sin does and how it affects us. But God, know that you can come to the cross, bait at the foot of the cross, and know that there's freedom and there's victory. We no longer have to live in this shame, but we can live free. So God, we pray that you're with me. Hide me behind the cross. Give me the image, image, picture, likeness you would have for the shed. And Lord, I just thank you for giving me this privilege to be here and to share with you. Lord, I bless you to your glory. Amen. Number one, shame is not a pleasant feeling. Shame is not a pleasant feeling. The problem with shame is that most Christians don't know what to do with it because we have failed to understand the purpose of shame in our lives. Have you ever noticed there are a lot of products on the market today that have printed on their label, use only as directed. When you use something in that manner, other than which it was intended, you may find that ultimate result is the opposite of the desired effect. We're looking at barriers to godly growth as the things that often get in the way of our relationship with God. And sin separates us from God and keeps us from growing closer to him. The trick with sin is that it is a package deal if we close it off. Along with sin, and along with sin, comes shame. Shame is one of those things we have all experienced in our lives. We've all made mistakes, and sometimes we make mistakes that we are so ashamed of that we'll live in fear of other people finding out about those mistakes. I've met so many people in my life that have tried to hide their past even from their loved ones because they believe if others found out, if people knew what they did, that no one would ever be able to love them. Their shame keeps them from loving others. Their shame keeps them from loving others. Shame has a purpose, but this is not it. So what is the purpose of shame. I just want to, I want to stop there real quick because, you know, this morning as I was going over my message and the Lord just really impressed upon my heart, the story of David of Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want to read it to you because I find it so significant for today. And what shame will do and how it will dra drag you down right into the pits of hell. And that's exactly what sin does. But it, it's amazing to me because sin has such a way of making it so appealing and so attractive and so comforting <laughs> that we want to stay and bask in it. But the outcome, church, isn't good. So when you participate in sin, 
it just brings forth shame, and then it ruins your character and trust. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to read this. It says here, it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rahab, Rabab, sorry. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eli, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came into him, unto him and laid with him. I'm sorry. And he laid with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her husband. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am, the chi- I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did. And how the people did and how the war Prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. And said, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Come thou not from thy journey? When did you not go down unto your house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide encamped. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, as I, my soul liveth, I will not do this. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today. Also, tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah lay in Jerusalem that day and into the next day. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest, most dangerous battle and retire ye from him and kill him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab had served the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the city the king dove into sin so deep that he held so much shame and so that Uriah would not find peace in his life. He puts him in a position where he loses his life. And David didn't even realize it. David thought he was dying because it came to a But we see that shame has become a huge barrier in our contact with others, in our relationship with God, and our relationship with others. You see, relationships are supposed to develop. They're supposed to go someplace. Shame can be immobilizing. It is one of the common tools used by our enemy to keep us from fulfilling the commission that that the Lord gave us. When we allow guilt or shame to reign in our lives as a result of mistakes or wrongs we have done, we make ourselves ineffective. 
But when we hold on to our shame, we become stagnant and too afraid to move. Shame is duplicitous. Shame keeps us from being our best self. Shame keeps us from being an asset to the kingdom of God. And shame essentially keeps us from being anything really worth doing. In this scripture, welcome to biblical did how did God refer to Adam? Say that nice and loud. The man was dead. So it's these specific descriptors when you hear them that are important. I have lived in the same place as so many other people have lived. A sense of shame. A sense of sense of fear. But I want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. And that there is hope in Christ. And even with David, as David left that place, he said, I have found my peace. He lost his reward. He lost a sense of himself. May we never lose a sense of ourselves. You know, one of the greatest things, we were talking in about, we've been talking about Mr. Spirit. And who was in the class this morning? Do you remember the three that were taught? I know there's more than that in there, but any other? Thank you. Patience, kindness, courage. The opposite of all that is impatience and time and that brings discouragement. And so we have to continually remember that if we're going to be like Christ, And we're going to live a life of victory that we've got to rest in the fact that we've got to walk like Christ walked. We've got to forgive like Christ forgave. The pride creeps up within us and we lose a sense of who we are because of shame. Face your shame. Listen, the battle's not yours, says little David. He said, Lord, it's fine. I'm in your favor. I've given it all to you. I know not what to do. You know why? Because he said, I can't fight this on my own. Yet David was highly regarded and has sexual immorality with a woman that he's lusting after. Set your sights on things above, not things of this earth, so that we don't have to carry around that shame. Many of us have felt that kind of shame often in our lives, and then you try to cover it up. You get connected to God. You feel him moving with you, and you get excited. And now you finally work up the courage to do something, something great in service to the kingdom. And something happens, either a skeleton from your past comes up or in in your excitement to serve in the kingdom of God, you make a mistake. All of a sudden you are overwhelmed with doubt and feelings of insecurity and unworthiness. So what do you do? You stop. In realizing you have made mistakes or being criticized for something you have done when life around us gets hard, one thing we so often do is we do what? We stop doing because we say it's too hard. I've seen it in this church. I've seen where people have made mistakes instead of reconciling those mistakes. And we can all come together and our our ushers can put chairs out through here. We leave because, you know what, pride creeps up within our life and Then all of a sudden, shame starts to take residence. And then here's what they say, and I've heard it. I'm not going back around those people. I'm embarrassed for what I did. I wish uh, these girls would leave the church. I was 13, 13 years old. Maybe 14. Yes, I was 13 years old. I was driving down 59 in uh, Stowe. And the Lord told me, I had a pastor friend we had served under, and uh, God told me, he says, go to his house right now. I said, I don't even know where he lives. He said, no, I want you to go to his house right now. I said, I don't know where he lives. So me and, you know, me and the Lord, like, I'm not putting all my faith and trust in him because it's like God would get me there. Ooh, here's my faith again. Are you a little bit? No. And uh, so I knew about where he lived. So... I was going down 59. I made a right on the street. I couldn't even tell you what the right was. Then I made another left, and then I turned around in the driveway and went back, and I'm like, I know he lives on that street. And I said, well, God, you're, you're telling me to go here, so I'm going to go. 
so I got there, and all I remember is I, I looked at the house, and I'm thinking, I know that's the police car. I know that's the police car. So I pulled in, and as I pulled in, I went up, and I knocked on the door, knocked again. One of those moments when I saw movement from a curtain, I probably should have known about this story before, how he's probably naked when he arrived. And, uh, and as I knocked on that door, the door opens up, and, and this is what happens with the flesh too. And the door is open this small. And he looks out the door, and he goes, what are you doing here, Mr. Hoffman? I said, I'm here by appointment. He goes, you are? I said, yes. God told me to come the whole way. And I looked at this dear creature, and I looked at this brother, and I said, are you okay? Now, we've known each other. You don't just open up a door, and we're not having a conversation. At one point, I was like trying to find out what was going on because, you know, I'm like, are you saved? Oh, Lisa is going to be home here shortly. And I remember just feeling that burden, just that feeling of just a burden that was too heavy. And I said, I want you to know I'm not expecting you to come here. If you are so need of me, I just want you to know I could live without you. If you ever need anything, you pick up the phone and I'll be there. Well, a couple weeks had passed and, and he left. Was never invited into the house. But there was something that I noticed that was pretty profound. The smell that came from this man. So at that moment and at that time, I was showing up, he had been drinking. A couple weeks passes, and he writes me a letter. Dear Pastor Tom, here's my story. I'm here to help you. I need to make my wrongs right. I'm a loving father to my own children. I've done wrong. I've wronged our people. I've wronged you. I've, I've let down our Savior. And he says, I know what I'm doing. I've been preaching in the temple. I've been leading my church. And this is what I want to do with you. But I couldn't make any sense of why. And I had to ask Jesus and seek his face. And I wanted you to know that as you receive this letter, I will be in Jerusalem. And I wanted to let you know and tell other people to please pray for me as I go through this difficult time it's been several years, but God is faithful. I want you to know that. And so, many of you know my dear brother. His name is Dan Page. He was a part of my ordination board. And I faced trumpet, and we prayed and started to celebrate recovery. And I didn't know what God was doing, but I love this pastor. He's a dear friend of mine, and he shares, he still shares his story today. And it was only a few years ago. But you know what I love that Dan did? And I was so moved by this. Is sharing people's persecution and opposition. Satan wanted to trip him up. And when you feel like somebody's looking at you going, man, you're really serious about this. Well, guess what? They're not. They shouldn't be judging. You're here because you need to be here. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not by himself. That was the purpose. He needed to press on and move through it. And if we always go back, we start to lose our footing in our life. We start to lose a sense of who we are. We make a mistake and then we become terrified to make another and so we don't do anything. We never take a risk. We never go outside of that. We just try to get back to something safe, something that we can control. When you use something in a manner other than that which it was intended, you may find that ultimate result is the opposite of the desired effect. Shame has a purpose, but this is the only one. So what is the purpose of shame? So imagine this. Imagine that you're watching the Olympics. All these different skaters come out with their impressive performances. Now in the Olympics, the athlete will be judged on what? On the difficulty of the routine as well as their precision and grace with which they carry it. 
In evaluating, then you are looking for the overall quality of performance and seeing how many errors they make as well as how complicated what they are doing really is. So then, an athlete who attempted a more challenging jump may actually get more points for trying and failing or making a slight mistake than if they didn't try it at all. So if that just sounded like garble, it kind of came out like that, didn't it? I always love, and, and I always have to say this, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I wonder if that's on my guitar. Kind of loves that. I mean, I know that's kind of cynical, but I mean, I, I was like, yeah, oh, um, <clears throat> you know, I was always proud that they could do a triple scissor dive, Swanee River, whatever, through the air. But I, I have to tell you, I always got great. I always think it's great when they just crash and wipe out and go sliding across the ice. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I don't watch anything in the Olympics except for their skating because I just think it's great. You know, they, because they, they're so fast, and then all of a sudden they go, and it's just like they're, they're gone. And uh, so I've, I've kind of enjoyed that. But anyhow, we, we know how they judge it. So as a judge, then what would, what would you do if one of the skaters came out and just slowly skated in a circle? Well, that would be boring. He would never watch it. They took no risks and didn't do anything challenging. Sure, their performance might have been close to perfect, but nothing was noteworthy. Anyone could have done what they did. Oftentimes, when we hold on to shame in our lives, that is exactly what we do. Rather than trying anything or doing anything, we just skate safely past it. How would you judge that? Even just watching at home, you'd think it would be I don't, many, I don't think many of us would say, well, that was a good job, well done. That is the effect that shame has on our character. It keeps us trapped in a fear of failure so that we are reluctant to try or to do anything. Shame keeps us in bondage. Shame is the depression of our spiritual life. Next point. Shame is the depression of our spiritual life. We don't want to go anywhere, don't want to do anything. We just lay in the same place, moping around, because we aren't perfect. When we live thinking we're not good enough or that God's grace is not strong enough, and when we do this, we cannot grow. For some of us, even more than sin, shame is a barrier in our relationship with God. The feeling of having your sin uncovered and exposed is crippling and terrifying. So we walk around with this shame that we try to hide, and even when we can admit it, we find ourselves unable to let it go. A every time I think of shame, th this is just what goes through my mind. Isn't it amazing how many of us will always hold shame as a, as a weapon, as a crutch? And it always reminds me of, of Rachel when I hold on to something. I always, I think of my daughter Rachel. You know when they take something and you're watching from the other group, but they don't know you're doing it. I got them all the way up, and they get in that cookie jar, and they take a drink, and they get in there, and they're looking at it just to see if anybody's around, and they put it back. And here's what's funny. They don't even put it back the right way. I mean, come on, if you're going to drink, can you at least make it perfect? And uh, But we know sin isn't that way, right? So all of a sudden, they take it down, and this is what always used to find cute about my girls. You know, as they're standing back, and they're watching these things, they're thinking, so precise and amazing to me. I mean, wow, it's amazing how they're covering up their sin. What they're really doing is covering up their shame. And then you walk in the room and you're like, hi, Caitlin. And immediately, Victoria, Megan, and Lindsay, and Caitlin, I'll go, hi, Dad. Why is it they never say anything? You guys have been there, right? They just look at you. Wow, if we could always get greeted like that from our children, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? I mean, every day when you, when you come home, hi, Dad. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. But they always do that because it's their way to cover up. And right over the whole thing is, I've sinned, I've taken, and I'm ashamed. 
And then when you say, what's in your hand? They kind of tuck it down in their pants. And the cookies are crumbling all down their bottom. And they're going to crumble when I'm done with them. Oh, just kidding. And uh, so, but that's shame. That's what shame does to us. And then they feel like, I'm disappointed in dad. I can't go out on that date. You know, he dad doesn't love me. He doesn't like me. He's disappointed in me. But never let shame become a psychological is to come to him and to confess that shame and say, God, I want to move on. I want to move on. We fail to do that because of shame. And it, it, and it does remind me of Adam and Eve. You know, and, and I find it interesting in Genesis because I watch this whole thing unfold. God walks back into the Garden of Eden. He was watching them get into the cookie jar of the forbidden fruit. And he was watching everything go on and then they realized that they had done wrong. They were ashamed of it, so they ran from God, the one that gave them all kinds of provision, the one that was there to bless them. Church, stop running. Start facing. Oh, it's Pastor Chuck. Oh, it's Pastor Chuck. It's such and such and such. No, look in the mirror. It's probably your fault. Can I get an amen? Okay. And, uh, but... But that's what happens. And so here's what shame does. Quit blaming and take responsibility for yourself. But this is how it happens. Shame eventually turns into bitterness, resentment. And if left unchecked, can become an all-out hatred toward God and toward other people. Do you understand what I'm saying or what's the message of this? When you allow shame to rule your life, you kick God out of the house. And then wonder why he doesn't love you. Shame keeps us from feeling forgiveness. It keeps us from that. We do not grow closer to God because either we do not feel we, do, we deserve it, we do not feel we deserve to, or because we do not know how. So we become spiritually bankrupt. And you miss something in a moment of everything not working things out, you may find that ultimately that is the cause of your struggles. Shame is just danger that shame poses in our lives is that direct refusal to accept the gift of God. Within our experience of the fullness of his love and mercy, because we consider ourselves unworthy. That's the point of this. This is the message. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. No one deserves it, yet shame hides the reality of it, convincing us that our sin is worse than the sins of others, and in so doing, it prevents us from truly experiencing the love of God. Shame makes us view ourselves as low and unworthy, filthy, rejected, unrighteous. Man. But that's Satan's intent. His intent is to make us feel like lowly, filthy creatures so that we can never do anything. You know what Satan wants to do to you? You know what Satan wants to do to the recovery program? He wants all of you to think that you're not worthy to share a story. Well, you do have a story of redemption. You do have a story of victory. Now, and all these things start coming our way because everybody wants to still point a finger. We're not here to point a finger. We're, help, we're here to help each other get through it one day at a time through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's why we need to experience God for who he is. Accepting that God offers grace to others is one thing, but for us it's another. After all, how could God love us? 
after what we've done. May shame take hold of our hearts. We cannot feel the love and grace he offers because we view our own mistakes as being greater than the love and mercy of God. We therefore essentially reject the power and goodness of God and the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus who is sinless. We allow ourselves to believe that our sin is greater than God's grace. In so doing, without even realizing it, we are rejecting Jesus who died beautifully for the results of our faith and hope moving on and down here but the trouble with sin is that it keeps us connected to our sin do you hear what i'm saying the trouble with sin is that it keeps us connected to our sin so long as we hold on to shame we will not break away from the habit of sin the shame becomes the instrument that keeps us from escaping the cycle of sin in our lives and that is not why we experience shame when you use something in a manner other than that which it was intended, you might find that the ultimate result is the opposite of the desired effect. Have you noticed I've said that like ten times already? Let me say it to you again. When you use something in a manner other than that which it was intended, you may find that ultimate result is the opposite of the desired something we're all worth something because of the cross of calvary so what is the purpose of shame i'll tell you if you want turn in your bibles to romans chapter 10 and we'll get it started romans chapter 10 and i wanted to preach this message and i don't know how this is going to look over the next couple weeks on shame but i know that i've i've watched this go on and i just wish i could go help everybody i wish i could just take away the shame and take away their sin but that's not my job that's god's job it's god's job to help us to recover and to help us to to move forward we need to go to him on our, on our own personal level romans 10 9 says this that if you confess with your mouth in quotes jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved now we're in romans 10 10 for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, get your pen out, get your highlighter out, get your finger out and highlight it around there, because watch this. We don't always say it, but in verse 11 it says this, and the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let me repeat that again. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is. Christians, we should not live in the shadow of the sin of our sin. We have sin, but shame comes from a lack of faith in Jesus' sacrifice to cover that sin. Shame comes when we refuse to let go of the guilt of sin in our lives. And Jesus won't take your sin from you by force. You have to be willing to give it to him, to lay it at his feet. We must let go of our shame so that we can grow in our relationship with him. So in closing, shame is actually a very important concept in Scripture. Shame is actually a very important concept in Scripture. Sin creates shame, which is then supposed to lead us to repentance so that we can change our ways and draw near to God.
supposed to lead us to repentance so that we can change our lives and our actions. The twist the enemy puts on that is rather that it shouldn't lead us to repentance. It leads us, keeps us connected to the enemy, which leads to more shame, which leads to more guilt. When we allow ourselves to hold that shame longer than it's necessary, draw us near to God, and that shame becomes not a sinfulness in our life, but a habit of our lives. Shame is also disrupted by our enemies. Lead us away from God. So shame often becomes not the source of our drawing closer to God as it should be, but in fact the very thing that tears us away from him. We must learn to use shame as it was intended so that it draws us to God instead of forcing us away from him. First, John chapter 1, verse 9 reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you come to him? Are you so proud that you can't even bow your knee to say, God, I know that I've done this wrong and I'm ashamed of it. Don't let Satan hold on to your ankle to keep pulling you down that hill to where you end up in the ditches and you end up in a place where, where there's no hope. That's where he loves you to be, is in the ditches. He'll pull you straight to hell without even thinking twice. Because that's one more that's not lifting up and building up the kingdom of God. So church, we need to walk away today being a victor, not a victim. We need to walk away being a winner, not a whiner. We need to walk away being a champion of God. We need to walk away understanding that we're highly favored. We need to walk away understanding that one day of favor is worth more than a lifetime of labor. You can labor your whole lifetime and it not put you where one day of favor can place you. We need to walk away understanding that we are anointed. We are not the tail, we are the head. Because we are champions of Almighty God. That's our God. And that's how good He is. You do not have to recline, reside, or resign to your shame. You walk away from it. If you've been dealing with something in your life and in your heart, can I encourage you today to come to God? Come to Him and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm letting go. Some of us maybe in this room have maybe felt isolated from God for so long because we have held on to shame instead of the faith and the blood of the Lamb of God. It is time to be freed from the prison of shame in each of our lives. It is time to let go of the burden you carry. Shame is a pull from God, but it is only effective when we are willing to let go of it. But it's your choice. New hope is your choice. For God does not give us shame so we can live feeling worthless. He gives us shame so that we will draw near to him and change our ways. So let us use shame and mourning in which we are directed as a tool to connect to God. So this morning, during the time of invitation, I would like to ask anyone who has been holding on to shame in their life, anyone who has been refusing to let go of something, I ask you, if you have been living in shame, to come forward. Speak it, pray it, release it. Leave it at the foot of the cross understanding that there's only help and healing there. I want you to come and to visually nail the source of your shame to the cross. And as you let go of it, you'll give yourself over to God. Let us overcome shame and experience the true love that God offers. And church, there is this hope. It says in his word, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You have a savior. You have an amazing savior. Share it. Let's all rise to our feet and I'm going to share this last story with you. Here's the story. Two nights ago, 
went up with our officers looking at, with the deacons, looking at some pavilions because we want to put a pavilion up out here. And, you know, your pastor goes by faith. Me too, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But he's just kidding. And he always takes care of everything. So we're going to let him take care of it. But anyhow, so we walk in and we're like, We were really like, this is a beautiful pavilion we walked under. So we went right back and we're talking with them and we're negotiating and all that kind of good stuff. Can we just have the model that's here? And and they told us the price and we're like, wow, $18,500, that's a lot of money. And we want to put the pavilion up out here. We got things to do. We got people to feed. We got places to go. We got a kingdom to build. Amen. So uh, do I hear an amen up in there? Come on, preach it. So anyhow. I, uh, as I was there, and me, Pat, Ron, the ladies were, were looking at this pavilion, and they're Amish. And many of you have heard me share that, so but we miss them. And uh, as we were talking, it was really cool because there was something different about it. You could see Christ in it. And I said, well, we're looking at this as a church. And he said, okay, so it was 18500 She goes, let's go. We'll knock it down 3500 So we went down to 15000 and I'm like, oh, this is really great. And he said, can we throw some kind of denomination on here, so on and so forth? And basically, she she said, how about a church? Well, Michael is our sales rep, and hopefully Michael will pop in here one of these days. And he said, I'm an hour and a half away down in Sugar Creek. But he said, well, I'd like to, to make my way to your church. He goes, I just enjoy the spirit of the people, uh, of your people. And, and so we left. We talked about it. We negotiated. We figured out how we could you know, go home and dig the pennies out of our shoes and try to put all this together and make it work for our congregation. And uh, I got the back to him, and he says, uh, this is Michael, and he's writing up the deal. And I said, yeah, we'd like to go ahead and get it. And I called Steve up on the phone. And uh, here's, what the, here's what it looks like. Can you go ahead and show us a, a picture of it? Did you guys end up getting it or not? There we go. That's the pavilion. We want it to be. We if if you'll take your finger fingers and you go like this, you'll zoom in and you'll see the model. Cindy leaves her hair on there while Cindy leaves. Just kidding. And uh, so the next screen is kind of showing. That's I mean, you kind of get a different kind of dynamic and dimension of how big it is and and what it'll look like. And I think it's just great for outreach for weddings and so on and so forth. But we said that's just not big enough. So we decided we're going to add like a porch to it. So we said, what would it take to add the other side to it? See that side that comes out? So that's how it'll come out. Isn't that awesome? So here's the cool part to Rocky Ridge. <laughs> I didn't even know that's the name of it. But anyhow, uh, that once we went over there, the staining wasn't included. And so now we're up to like 24,000. By the end of the thing, when we got out of there, it was 25,000. And uh, they put that addition on all that kind of stuff. They're staining it. They come here. They put it up. They do everything. Men and women of New Hope, guess what? You don't have to do anything. Isn't that nice? And treasurer, <laughs> for the week, everybody comes here for food. We'll work for food. We should have signs that say that, right? So anyhow, um, I say that to say, but here was the cool story. So we're all done. Put a deposit down on it. We get up and they had all walked away, and Michael stops, and he looks at me. And he said, can I just share a story with you? I said, yeah, man, I, I love stories. And he said, well, well, you know, I was raised Amish, and I left the Amish. I got saved. And I said, that's so awesome and so cool. And he said, and you know, when you leave the Amish, you're then isolated. You don't have family. I had nobody. My wife left me. He said, I have nobody now. I have no one to talk to. So just over Christmas and New Year's, he said, I just decided I've got to get back into the Word. I've got to get into the Word. But this is what was so cool that I knew God had ordained this whole thing. He had put everything into place. Here's what he said. God told me, ready? And when he said to be quiet, he said, so I dove into the word. And he said, I have come back to church 
And it is amazing what God has done in my life. He goes, look at me. I've got goosebumps. Come on. I haven't been able to share any. And I said, hold on. You've got to go tell all those people. Let's go tell your story. And then he goes over there and he starts saying, I was in the ditches. I was in shame. I, I did all these things and was embarrassed for the things I've done. But he knew what he had to do. He went to Christ and God forgave him. Jesus, listen, you're forgiven as far as the east is to the west. So I always say, you know what? He needed validated that all that legalism, everything that he had learned as a boy was validated by the Christian people that were standing around him. And here's what he said. I just love the feeling of your church people. I love your feeling. Well, isn't, isn't that what we're supposed to do to people? Because when you come to Christ, there's freedom, there's liberty. At New Hope Home Recovery, we're going to show people that it doesn't end in prison. That there's life that's, that's possible. And that's what our job is, our responsibility. We have to fill this place up. We should be telling people all the time, come to church, come to church, come to church. Be a part of the church. We have things to do, man. It is exciting. God is alive. God gave us a property that only he knows what he wants done with this. I don't. I know what he gave me is a vision, and I'm fulfilling that vision. He has to do the rest. You have to do the rest. You have to stop eating, and then we got to pay for this pavilion. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. And, uh, but, <laughs> so... Oh, at New Hope Christian, we come to church because we like to eat. And, uh, but anyhow, so I say this on a serious note. Would you come to him today? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that we can come before you and know that you work all things out. God, it's so neat to think that we had a board meeting a week ago. We discussed the pavilion. We discussed the dynamics of it all. And, and some of us got a little bit probably frustrated, not knowing what to do or what the city of Talmud zoning wanted from us, but God, you already had everything in plan. You knew what needed to be done. And so God, I just pray that Lord, when it's all completed and we get to see the finished product, this would be just one stage of the many things that you have planned for us to have in this place. So God, we're moved by our faithfulness, our sacrifice to fulfill what needs to be done. But God, I stand in this room where I've had to carry some shame and guilt. And I've had to tell people when I've had to raise them up that I've been forgiven. I don't ever want to embarrass you. So Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who came to the cross to give us hope. And I know that all the shame God, we run with that. We pray, Lord, for those that are distraught, that would have hope, that if they have their heart in the pavilion and that they would have that hope, Lord, may they learn to depend on you again and again. And may you work in their hearts and lives to bring them to Christ. God, you work, you perform miracles in every corner of the world. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. God, you can work miracles So, God, I'm asking that you feel free to move, continue to be moved. Lord, forgive me of my sins, each of us, and all of us. I'm righteous before you. Lord, help me to be humble. Help our people to recognize when God is speaking to us, when the Holy Name of Jesus is speaking to us. It's time to be humble.